So, Nicolas Bornodius, again of Capitaling, I would like to welcome you to another very interesting panel. Uh, this session is on charting corporate strategy, global commodity shipping uh, in the decade ahead. I would like to thank uh, Andy McCarran from Lloyd's Register for uh, moderating this panel. I'd like to thank uh, the panelists. We have a top level group of panelists. Thank you for being with us. Um, and uh, without any more delay, I will turn it over to Andy and say a huge thank you to all of you. So firstly, a huge thank you to Nicholas and the entire Capital Link team for hosting this panel session today. As always, many thanks. Uh, today, as Nicholas says, we are addressing a critical and pressing topic global commodity shipping in the decade ahead, charting corporate strategy. We have a great panel today who will give their valuable insights on how their companies from across a variety of different shipping segments, including dry bulk, gas and tankers, etc., are adapting to the changing regulatory, technological and market landscape in the post COVID-19 era. So as Nicholas says, my name's Andy McCarran and I'm the business director for the Maritime Performance Services at Lloyd's Register. As way of a quick introduction to the panel session before we introduce our panelists and then open up to the Q&A, 2020 was a year that stopped us all in our tracks. Our routines had to change, we had to rethink our processes and we've all reappraised what we do and how our actions affect others. There's no question that the pandemic has been a disruptive force in many ways and its impact has been profound. In the maritime industry, our collective resilience and adaptability has come to the fore. Our appetite for and acceptance to technology has grown and we've seen accelerated digital advances. Furthermore, many of us have had a much sharper focus on how our businesses can contribute to a green economy recovery. A lot has happened in the past 15 months and while there may have been a few delays in getting things done as we first navigated the COVID-19 landscape, for many in maritime, it has been, or has now become, business as normal. Furthermore, the regulatory wheels have kept turning. The meeting of the Marine Environment Protection Committee, or MEPC, last November saw amendments to MARPOL Annex 6, with new requirements addressing greenhouse gas emissions expected to enter into force late in 2022, pending adoption at MEPC 76 next month. The Energy Efficiency Design Index for existing ships, or EEXI, and the Operational Carbon Intensity Reduction Requirements specifically have the objectives of technically efficient new and existing ships operated efficiently to achieve the IMO's interim level of ambition for 2030. Applicable to vessels over 400 gross tonnes, the EEXI generally requires pre-EEDI or EEDI certified ships to catch up with their new construction contemporaries that meet the latest applicable phase of EEDI. Owners are having to look closely at their fleets. Compliance with EEXI is now essential for ships to continue to trade. And there are many reasons to think that consistently maintaining a carbon intensity rating of C or above in the scale of A to E could now become a vital commercial and regulatory risk management strategy. There are without question a number of variables that ship owners and operators will have to take into account as they determine their corporate strategies in the decade ahead. How EEXI might affect their tonnage to how the pursuit of performance efficiencies may reshape ship operations and redefine maritime winners and losers. 
And all this is happening in an environment of change as traditional ways of working continue to be recalibrated by all companies. That said, we only have 45 minutes for this afternoon's discussion with a lot of ground to cover with a phenomenal panel of shipping leaders. So Christian, starting with you, please can you introduce yourself, your company, and share your key lesson from the pandemic and how it may reshape the way you do things in the decade ahead. Christian. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much and hello everyone. I'm Christian Sorensen, I'm the CEO of uh, Avanzgas and I'm, I'm very pleased to, to join you for this session. Um, Avanzgas is uh, an LPG shipping company specializing in the very large gas carrier sector, the VLGC sector, and we currently have 13 vessels on the water, uh, where six of them are scrubby fitted. Um, we are uh, stock listed in Oslo, where we are one of the companies in the John Fredrickson uh, Swear, uh, like uh, Frontline and Flex LNG, uh, who are also participating on the panel today. Um, in Advanced Gas, we also have an extensive new building program uh, of uh, six state-of-the-art LPG dual-fuel VLGCs, which will hit the water from December this year um, and into 2023. Uh, our fleet renewal program uh, will, will boost our commercial operations and, and capacity, while at the same time reduce our environmental footprint considerably compared to, to fleets with conventional uh, propulsion engines, coming back to your, your point in the, in the introduction. So um, moving on to, to some key lessons from the, from the um, pandemic. Um, I would say, number one, as a, as a shipping company, ESG has become uh, an integrated part of our daily activities and operations. And uh, I would say, uh, first and foremost, that safety and, and the health and well-being for our crew on board the ships have been a great concern since the pandemic spread around the world. And I think since World War II, it's probably never been such a challenging time globally to, for our seafarers. And, and, and every day we're facing difficulties and hurdles to safely change crew, disembark crew members with critical illness, protect our crew from the COVID-19 infection and so on. And, and I must say the mental condition of our crew on board, the vessels is something that we're following up very closely. So, I mean, this is number one. Um, lesson from the pandemic that uh, the safety and, uh, and the health and well-being of our, our crew and, uh, and uh, personnel on shore as well is, is uh, number one priority and has to be. And um, number two, I would say commercially, it's become even more important to handle market volatility and be able to, to handle risk through our chartering strategy, which has to be agile enough to sustain shocks and volatility, both negative and positive ones. The VLCC market is, is uh, like the VLCC market, very volatile. And we have been over the last 12 months, you know, through periods of $100,000 a day down to OPEX levels of around $7,000 a day and now hovering $40,000 a day. So it's important to, to be able to to, to handle the risk and the market volatility. Um, and and uh, at the same note, I would say that when the time is right, it's important to, to de-risk and, and bolster the balance sheet. Something we did when we entered the market for a private placement uh, earlier this year to raise equity for a new building program. Uh, and and uh, it's important to have a sound and prudent debt to, uh, to equity ratio. Um, on a positive note, I would say a key takeaway uh, is, uh, is that new technology 
has been implemented and absorbed during the pandemic uh, and the adaptability of the workforce, both the sailing crew and the onshore personnel has been just you know, tremendous. So um, if you look at how quickly we all learned to work from home uh, with our laptops, uh, new headsets, software systems, uh, it's definitely encouraging to see how uh, quickly uh, everyone has uh, adopted to the new world and, and the way technology has been absorbed. So, I mean, who would have thought that you're on mute would be the number one phrase that office workers remember best from the, from the pandemic. So, um, so, I, so I mean, both commercially and, uh, and uh, from, from an ESG uh, perspective, there are definitely several key takeaways uh, from the pandemic that we have, um, uh, would like to highlight. Thank you very much indeed, Christian, and some great observations and seafarer well-being is, is an absolute critical item on everybody's agenda moving forward. Uh, Lars, Christian, moving to you, same, same question, if you don't mind, introduce yourself, your company and, and the key lesson from the pandemic, please. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Lars Christian. I'm uh, CEO of Bell Ships. We're a shipping, uh, ship-owning company listed here in Oslo. Uh, we've been active last couple of years expanding our group and we now own uh, 26 modern vessels with everything commercial and technically uh, managed in-house. And I think during this pandemic, that's been the key uh, for us, at least, in order to keep our ships sailing and, and crew safe. Um, shipping in general has a reputation for being uh, old-fashioned, but I think this pandemic has also shown how adaptable uh, we all are to crises. Uh, I mean, as this, this came on top of all the fun and games around IMO 2020. So, um, uh, yeah, if anything, it's a reminder to always have a low case in your cash flow model. Fabulous. Thank you, Lars Christian. Uh, good advice. Uh, Ingvil, moving to you, please. Thank you. My name is Ingvil Osheim and I'm heading up a BWLNG. BWLNG is part of the uh, private part of the BW Group, uh, which is a leading maritime company. We are involved in shipping, but also in floating infrastructure, oil, pro oil and gas production. And we also have a sizable investment into new sustainable technology and, and renewables. BW controls today a fleet of around 420 vessels in, in a different segments, and we have the biggest gas uh, fleet in the world, about 190 LNG and LPG vessels. BW LNG itself is running 25 LNG carriers and five FSIUs. I think I share the, many of the same lessons learned for us uh, as Christian and, and Lars, but, uh, yeah, but it's been a striking demonstration of adaptability uh, and to see how we can find solution when we are under pressure and we actually have to. And I think that bodes well for some of the challenges we have ahead of us. Um, I, it's been really an eye-opener to see how we have been able to speed up the, our digital journey. And, you know, a simple example is uh, a, one and a half year ago, we sent out circular letters to the crew and, and then we had officer conference and maybe reach, reach our captains every two or three years. Today, we are chatting on teams and, and doing town halls exactly the same way as we do in the offices. So, you know, it has speeded up a number of things. We have even done digital commissioning of an FSIU. Uh, who would have thought that? So, so I think that is one thing. Then the, secondly, um, this gradual 
or growing realization of the daunting task we have ahead of us to reduce emissions. Uh, we, we, it would maybe have happened in any case, but I can't help but thinking that uh, that us being stuck in our homes, having a bit more time to reflect on it, has also accelerated how how we think about uh, climate change and and what we need to do. And for me, it, two things there: it's the need for collaboration and the need for take to take action. And you know, we have it's easy to set these ambitions. I think we know what we have at task here. So now it's time to take these actions and implement what can be implemented. And, and for me, it's we have a solution for reducing considerably our emissions by switching to LNG and LPG as fuel, as both Avans and BWLPG is doing. And so, so go for it. The engines we are installing is also flexible enough to burn a number of other alternatives and zero carbon fuels as they come along. So let's let's act. And for the development of the new solutions, uh, we have to work together. I mean, we are competitors, but here we have a task that we need to work together, not only ship owners, but all the stakeholders to, to, to what we are doing. And, and lastly, I also would like to just emphasize this immense gratitude I feel towards our seafarers that has kept the world trade going. Here, here, Ingvor. Yes, thank you for mentioning that at the end. So some good lessons learned and then collaboration and action moving forward. So, Oystein, so, uh, over to you and same question, please. Yeah, I'm Oystein Kallekev. I'm CEO of Flex Energy Management. Um, we are LNG shipping company. We have invested two and a half billion dollars in uh, brand new LNG carriers. So we have 12 of these on the water now. Last ship due on May 31st. And then we have finalized our current uh, LNG new building program. So we have built all the new type of ships. Uh, you know, the LNG industry has been a bit of oddity where you have uh, steel propulsion was the, the standard propulsion 10, 15 years ago, all the way while all the other shipping segments left such an inefficient uh, engine a long time ago. Uh, and that, uh, you know, we've seen as an opportunity to build new, much more efficient ships, which are close to 60% more efficient than the old steamships, which were the base case 2008. So the EEXI regulation coming into force now, we just... Uh, just even make our business uh, strategy stronger. Uh, I think we have heard about a lot of lessons there in, uh, for the COVID-19, since this is also an investor uh, presentation or, or, or conference, I would say one rule, which is always applicable in any crisis, never run out of money, never be forced to uh, issue equity at the bottom of the cycle, because then you would destroy a lot of shareholder value, if not everything. So uh, we've been very prudent there, financing our vessels in advance, having a very big cash position. So now once we're getting out of the COVID-19 crisis gradually, uh, we started repaying dividends, first 10 cents, 30 cents, no 40 cents, buying back our stock at the cheap uh, and instead creating more shareholder value. So having a prudent... Uh, position in terms of liquidity, having a good sort of banking group, that's always uh, valuable if you're in a capital-intensive industry like, like shipping. 
Fantastic, Oystein. So yeah, don't overgear or over leverage the organization and hold you, a healthy you, you debt, can, debt you to can equity. Get, you can get higher if you just have a strong liquidity position so you can bear some losses. So it's not, some people say, okay, you have to do low leverage. I like high leverage, but a lot of cash. Yeah, very good. Thank you for that. And last but by no means least, uh, we'll, we'll go to Lars, please. Yeah, thank you. My name is Lars Barsta. I'm uh, the interim CEO of Frontline. Uh, we're a tanker owner. Um, we're running 68 uh, modern tankers, uh, making us one of the largest tanker owners in the world. Uh, we're listed on also Stock Exchange and the New York uh, Stock Exchange. Uh, we're currently running um, around 17 VLCCs, 29 SUS Maxis and 20 LR2s uh, slash Afro Maxis. We recently uh, ordered six VLCC new buildings. Um, again, you know, kind of motivated a bit uh, around the discussions that we're going to have today with regards to, to preparing for um, kind of the increased transportation needs uh, going forward, but uh, more efficiently and, and with less uh, emissions. Um, you know, I would obviously like to echo um, kind of all the other guys here on the panel and ladies, sorry, uh, on the panel uh, about um, kind of one of the, the lessons learned is uh, definitively uh, towards the seafarers. You know, it, it showed us how vulnerable we were and it also showed us, um, you know, how kind of owners and managers and uh, kind of the, the, the entire value chain managed to, to, to move together in order to to help um, kind of our seafarers to, 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 to manage this, uh, you know, troublesome period. And I'm really happy uh, basically to say that we, we're now starting to, uh, to vaccinate our, our, um, our seafarers. Uh, some of the seafarers come from nations that don't really have a good vaccination plan in place. And, uh, and this is, uh, you know, obviously an effort and a cost that uh, the owners are willing to participate in, 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 uh, in spreading vaccination, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, to our crew. Uh, with regards to, to another lesson learned from, from um, uh, the, the, the pandemic, uh, you know, when we were sitting here last year, um, we were always in the tanker industry looking at some tremendous markets. You know, we had uh, demand was starting to, to stall, but supply was still relatively high, meaning that we, we fairly quickly ended up in some sort of storage economics. Uh, I think the lesson learned is that, the, you know, there was a, obviously the COVID-19 pandemic was a black swan. It was, uh, you know, uh, uh, the first black swan we had was actually Saudi Arabia and, and Russia starting a price war. Um, and then uh, the, the third black swan was actually how rapidly and how quickly uh, the global oil markets were able to adjust to the output volume. Uh, no analysts in the world, uh, you know, go, kind of rewinding back a year expected the oil supply to be able to react this quickly, um, but uh, but it, it happened. So so basically, it's it's been like a, a black swan year, and uh, you know I think kind of some of the volatility we've seen on supply demand, on freight pricing, on uh, basically a lot of various indicators uh, is, is something we're probably hopefully never going to see again. Great. Thanks for that, Lars. And I think negative oil prices is certainly something we don't want to see again. And that contango that was created in the market of supply and demand, even, even in the short term. So thank you for those insights. Um, Oystein, I'm going to come back to you now because you, you, you'd mentioned it. I'm going to turn to regulation. 
So how will EXI and the subsequent operational carbon intensity reductions affect your sector? You mentioned steam turbines, you know, I'm going to say in terms of the efficiency part of it. And then more importantly, what are you doing as a business uh, currently to, to address that? So Oystein, first to you, please. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think I've been talking about this, uh, I would say, revolution in the uh, propulsion system that has happened during the last 15 years or so. I've been talking so much about it that uh, some of the other owners are a bit tired of hearing it, but I don't, I don't mind. I'm going to repeat it anyway. So, um, so what's happened is we've gone from a steam turbine, which is basically thermal efficiency around 35%. Then you got to a four-stroke diesel electric engine, which is about 40% efficient. And then you're going to the modern propulsion for a big ship, which is a uh, two-stroke uh, engine, but which is fuel fuel. So you can burn both uh, gas and liquid fuel, and uh, it's 50-52% thermal efficiency. So this is a you know huge improvement. Uh, and 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 also during that, you also built bigger ships. So you've gone from a standard size steam being 125 to 145,000 cubic to more 170, 180,000 cubic. So this all translates into uh, better freight economics, so the kind of the unit transportation cost on all ships compared to all steamships is uh, close to 60% lower. So that of course means that charters can uh, pay a higher freight rate for more efficient ships because they're also paying for the fuel. We are burning part of the fuel as now a cargo as of fuel. So it's, it's this is what we call the boil off, and of course boil off gases. You know the amount of boil off. Because the term, these are basically propellers with a, a thermos with propellers, and and the boil off has gone down from 0.25 percent every day to now getting to a level where the incremental improvements of getting it lower isn't that much. Because you are talking here about let's say 0 0.07, 0 0.08 percent per day. So you need some boil off in order to fuel the fuel the, the ship so so making it a bit lower now it doesn't give that much bang for the buck um, and then uh, I, I, we have been talking about this uh, regulation coming into force and I think people have been a bit surprised at uh, their willingness to to actually uh, reduce carbons because this is not just hot air anymore this is happening for real and even bureaucrats and politicians are willing to do something about it, uh, which creates a business opportunity, because what will the consequence be of more stringent rules? It is the fact that older, inefficient steamships will uh, retire earlier. Uh, and the retirement age in, in LNG in the shipping industry <laughs> has traditionally been quite high, 40 years. So that will come down for older ships. Uh, and potentially, we don't know yet. We will see how stringent the politicians and, and, and bureaucrats uh, will be in terms of the methane emissions, because we basically emit two types of gas. What we have on the tank is methane, and then you burn the methane and you uh, emit CO2. Uh, and of course, the CO2 emissions are much lower on the newer ships. But some of these ships, the four-stroke diesel electric ships, they don't burn clean, so they're not managed to burn all the CH4, so that is vented. Uh, and that, of course, gas is <laughs> much more potent than, than CO2. And if uh, CH4 emissions are included 
in the EXXI rules, that will have dramatic consequences for all Typhoon ships as well. So not only the 200 steamships, but also the 160 or so dual fuel Typhoon ships. So, so, you know, it will be exciting to, to follow the development. Uh, it's not that easy to, to get compliant in LNG because of this boil-off. Every day you have a boil-off, so <laughs> you need to burn that. If you vent it, it's much worse. Uh, so then really the only alternative is, you know, getting into relic systems, but some of these older ships are already very slow. So you don't really want to go slower and it will be hard to trade those ships. And really, do you really want to do, make so big investments on older ships to, in order to, to maybe extend their life for just a couple of more years? So, so I think the new regulation will create more business opportunities for us. And I think we will be rewarded for investing proactively in the modern type of ships. Uh, but, you know, down the road, eventually, we also do need to find better ways of coping with the CO2 emissions. Um, both in the upstream part of the LNG value change, downstream, uh, but also in the transportation phase. But I think, you know, these ships, you know, the, the original IMO baseline was 70% carbon intensity reduction from our base of 2008. And if you look at the LNG shipping industry, the base is only steamships. So I think actually this is realistically to achieve today with the current technology. Some really interesting observations there, especially around methane abatement requirements, carbon capture requirements, etc. E even with the efficient ships, and I think it's going to become the supply and demand aspects around, you know, retiring, you know, old tonnage versus return on investment. So some great observations there, and thank you for that, Oystein. Um, last question, same, same question for yourself around around EEXI and CII and 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 how that's affecting your sector and and what you're you're looking at. Thank you. I mean, uh, in our segment for, for bulk carriers, first of all, I mean, it's, it has actually tempered the old habit of, uh, of ordering too many ships. Uh, so, so that's great. Uh, we, have, we actually have a good market now with a very small order book. And that's a very good starting point to tackle these future reg regulations and reach uh, the, uh, the ultimate goal uh, to reduce carbon footprint. Um, so in that respect, I'm quite optimistic. Uh, there, is a, there is a very adaptive uh, industry out there in, within bulk carriers, which uh, uh, with the existing fleet has a huge potential to actually adjust the speed and operational efficiencies to deliver a big, big part uh, of, of the potential targets. Um, and then, of course, we, we do expect that there will be uh, new designs, new uh, technology is available, which has to be invested in. Um, and I'm certain there will be risk capital available for that, uh, for, sh for shipping. And I'm sure there will uh, be more than enough uh, to finance this in the future. There is a, there is a very adaptive and risk-willing sector in, in, in shipping. Uh, we don't get a lot of uh, subsidies or uh, very long charters to, to finance all this. So there is a there's an adaptive and, and ready ship owner uh, market to, to adjust to this. Uh, I think the, the main, uh, main fear I, I have is that we, we need to avoid jumping the gun too early about building new ships which aren't really new. Um, because the classic thing is that you go build a ship which is 5% more effective on the assumption that uh, the person with the oldest ship is going to scrap uh recycle it just doesn't hold water because the cost level on these old ships is very low 
So uh, they will turn around and say, well, we were happy to reduce our costs. So um, I think that we have to, to, uh, to hold off uh, on, on jumping on new buildings for a while. Um, for us uh, in, in Bell Ships, we have, uh, we have a modern fleet, which in terms of efficiency, I think we're in the top 10 percentile. Uh, and uh, it appears we're prepared for these new benchmark indices towards 2030 with, with our fleet today. Um, another thing we've done specifically with this in mind, because we're not really certain on, on these future regulations, is that we've financed this on uh, so-called optional leases. So we actually have a real and viable solution to turn around our company and fleet quite drastically uh, towards 2025 and 2030, um, because 70% of our fleet, uh, which comprises on all the most modern ships, are financed on these uh, optional leases. Uh, whereas the, the, the other end are the older supermaxes, which we are actually in process of phasing out and selling now. So I think that, that might become important uh, in the next few years, actually. Uh, how, how are you going to offload? How are you going to sell? Are you going to sell in a great market uh, or you wait till the last minute? This, this phase out, I think, is very important and, and being a bit patient on the new building side. Thank you, Lars. Uh, Christian, I, you've moved us nicely on to financing because I think we've, we've spoken about strong balance sheets. We've spoken about, you know, operational power limitations, for example, maybe to, you know, to reduce speed. But there is going to be a large amount of uh, existing tonnage that will need to make additional operational improvements around things like flettner rotors, air lubrication and other efficiency measures, maybe to meet the, the EXI and, and probably certainly the CII as that comes. So moving to, to, to Lars B, um, how would you be looking at financing any operational improvements that may be required? I mean, for, will, will this be done on your balance sheets or are you looking for some of the green tech funds? And do you believe that owners uh, are getting enough assistance to look at some of this retrofitting of additional equipment to, to meet new efficiency requirements? Lars. Well, I, kind of, I would like to maybe turn it a little bit around. Well, first of all, we're kind of in a lucky position here at Frontline that we, we don't really have those large investments to make, at least not initially. Uh, you know, we're obviously kind of fully aware of, of our position with regards to EEDI or EXEI, um, kind of as we approach 2023, and we're very comfortable with, with that situation. Um, so, but kind of, down the line, obviously, investments are probably needed to, to, to be had with regards or to, 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 to kind of um, move forward in, in line with the regulatory uh, kind of framework. Um, but I think, I think I'd like to, to kind of echo what Lars Christian said. It's, it's important not to jump the gun here. Um, you know, I think there's going to be kind of an array of solutions for the various owners going forward, either on fuel propulsion or other kind of technological advances that, that might come. The, the thing is, I would like to make a comparison to what we saw when IMO 2020 was about to happen. You saw very few owners uh, actually making the investment decision until there was actually a, a slight chance that, that you would get rewarded for it economically. I think you have to understand, and it's particularly so for, for tankers right now, you know, we're in no position to invest a lot of mon money to cater for um, you know, kind of providing a service to the industry for the next uh, 10 years. Um, you know, that has to come via mechanisms in, in order to, to, to make it uh, kind of economically viable. 
Um, I would like to, to there's a famous quote from a, from a well-known Norwegian environmentalist and it says, you know, going green by black numbers. And it's really important, you know, to incentivize the industry because, you know, although we really, really want to kind of, uh, you know, be ideologists and so forth, we also have a responsibility towards our shareholders and uh, to, to, to make a return. And, and uh, you know, we're not really there to make that investment right now because we don't know kind of how it's going to play out for us, to be quite honest. So, uh, but there is a lot of um, kind of financing available. Uh, you know, the, the kind of ESG and, and the green shimmer has, has uh, you know, reached obviously the financing market and the funds and so forth. So, so, so the, the capital is available and also at very good terms. And we've seen some, some uh, you know, one of the companies in, in, um, in the, the, the same sphere as, as, as uh, we're running, uh, you know, kind of issuing green bonds and so forth. So I think, you know, there's an entire industry around that to help us when we are in the position to make the investments. Thank you, Lars. Uh, Christian, uh, same question for yourself, really, ar around this in terms of the financing availability. Yeah, thanks. Um, and, and, you know, for the um, uh, BLGC segment, um, the picture is a little bit different than what you see, what you see in the tankers and the, and the dry cargo space, uh, since the dual fuel technology has pretty much been accepted as the next uh, generation of, of propulsion technology. And if you look at the order book, I mean, all the ships uh, are, are today uh, ordered on the basis of a dual fuel technology. So, um, and, and, uh, but again, the capital has in general become more selective than it was, let's say, five years ago. Uh, but but uh, speaking for ourselves, at least, we, we, we find capital readily available from the conventional capital sources. Uh, for instance, we took up new debt for our, from our banks to, to finance our scrubber retrofits uh, on our existing ships. While well, we tapped into the public capital market earlier this year to, to raise equity for a dual fuel VLGC new building program, where we also have received great interest from, from conventional banks and leasing institutions on our debt uh, financing. Uh, so I would say that in, in general, our experience is that there is ample capital out there. Um, the challenge is to get the charters to chip in on the green transition uh, to accelerate the move to greener shipping, I would say. And, and um, uh, you know, if ship owners were even more incentivized to, to uh, buy, buy a carrot, not only a stick, I believe the green transition of shipping would, would move even faster. So uh, right now it seems more to be a system where there is a preference for green ships rather than a willingness to pay more. Uh, that's uh, one of the problems I see in, in the next uh, phase of, uh, of the transition. Thank you, Christian. Yeah, sticks and carrots. And now I'm going to come back to Ingville in terms of um, collaboration and action. And I, th I think it's the, the same aspect of this. But Ingville, in, in your view, I mean, how would complying with EEXICII change the relationships between the key stakeholders in the, in the industry? And, and building on Christian's point, particularly around the owner-charter relationship, I think we've seen movement in things like the Poseidon Principles, the Sea Cargo Charter, and other initiatives that are coming forward in terms of transparency. Are you seeing that positive or negative interaction changing? Uh, definitely, it's, it's a very important question, and I think depending a bit on the final decision of how the carbon intensity is going to be measured, 
I mean, especially the Tartar has a huge impact uh, on it, and, and to some extent bigger impact than, than we as ship owners. And you know, th that is a, a dilemma, and, and it, it requires a totally different dialogue between the owners and, and the charters, possibly new type of contracts. And I agree with Christian in his view that you know, we, we need to maybe, I mean, it's, so far it's more sticks than a carrot, but here we need to work together. And I, I think we have a com we should have a common goal here. Uh, one example, one initiative we've been taking in the group is that we are creating, we are co-creating a, a, a dry bulk uh, platform, the uh, Copenhagen commercial platform. And the whole idea behind that is to bring like-minded owners and charters together and create that necessary transparency to bring the total emissions down. We, and and it has we we see a real interest there. So I think it's a spurring interest among the charter as well to contribute here. In the LND industry, one thing that is talked a lot about now is carbon neutral LNG, where it, again the charters suddenly become much more interested in the carbon footprint on, on of the shipping uh, and where it benefits them to actually bring it down uh, and you are aligning the principle. And I think also in the LNG industry we maybe are a bit more fortunate that we come from a history of very long charters, very close collaboration with our charters. So I'm hopeful, uh, maybe I'm not too optimistic, that, that in the LNG industry it will be somewhat easier to create that partnership spirit that is definitely going to be required. But I think it's going to be some interesting uh, discussions to be held, both on the operational side and also possibly on the legal side. Thank you, Ingvill. And, and it builds, I think, on what Oystein was saying earlier around this anatomy of the fuel from a well-to-wake charter owner-operator relationship being, being so important now if we look at carbon zero um, shipping for, for LNG transportation. So thank you for that. And then, and then Lars Bastard, I'm going to come back to you, I think, around this going green by black numbers and, and ask the same question, I think, around the, the relationship change that needs to happen to accelerate your ability to maybe make some economic uh, decisions as well as the uh, pressures from EEXI and CII. So Lars, what, what's your thoughts there? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that we, we're, we're gradually, um, you know, our biggest clients are obviously the oil majors and, and we're gradually uh, seeing now that the kind of the oil majors boardroom ambitions is starting slowly, slowly to trickle down to their chartering departments. You know, obviously price is the, you know, the biggest denominator for them. You know, they don't really, don't really care too much uh, as they charter away right now, but they're starting to raise questions. And, and, uh, and also the, 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 there is like this interest in, you know, how can we kind of, can we make uh, something with this voyage in order to, 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 to potentially make it carbon neutral or, and so forth. So, so we're not there yet, but we were starting to move uh, in, the, in that direction. We also see um, the trading houses who see carbon as a commodity too, uh, looking at opportunities in this market and looking at how they can maybe not profit for it, uh, but from it, but at least be prepared for the shift coming. So, and, and for an owner then it's super important to Kind of have good housekeeping and and uh, manage your own data basically with regards to emissions and this is an effort that we started uh, a bit over a year uh, back uh, called the decarbonization project which we do together with dnb 
and and it's basically to be able to monitor our our, our um, emissions uh, closely and. Uh, you know, the model isn't set yet, but uh, if you imagine an ETS trading model where you, uh, the charter is exposed to the CO2 emissions from, from last discharge to until kind of the end of the voyage, then obviously you need to be able to, to provide that kind of data and, and indicate to the owner in a negotiation process what the footprint will be for this particular voyage. And, and in that, you are going to end up kind of in, in a situation where you are very, very much uh, kind of involved in, in, in that part of, of the value chain as well for, for um, with your charters. But uh, what we do now, we're, we're kind of in this exploration phase where we discuss openly and, and initially with the, with the oil majors in how we together can kind of uh, find a solution and, and serve this at least now. Thanks very much indeed, Lars. And I think it's very much at the heart of the things like the Sea Cargo Charter, where we're looking at the noon reporting on a daily basis, AERs, et cetera, on, on, on single voyages. So, so thanks for that. And, and clearly some good drive from, from you and your business in, in that direction. So if we take a step backwards and look more broadly now, I'm going to come to, to Lars Christian on this. What, what do you see as the biggest drivers of change in the decade ahead? And, and what do you think will differentiate the winners and losers, let's say, as maritime comes to terms with some of these trends? Lars Christian. I think uh, it's, it's maybe not, uh, it's not new in the discussion, but I think it's, uh, it's clearly going to be regulations and potential revised regulations. So uh, I just hope authorities don't fudge it, because if, you, if we look back on, on, on ballast water treatment uh, systems, for example, this was a convention from I think 2004 and uh, and still by this date uh, ships are, uh, are sailing around with exemptions to it so it, some of these things takes unnecessarily a long time to uh, to get effective and they're not really effective um, IMO 2020 uh, was a whole lot of funding games and positioning around things uh, and it uh, it could have been done a lot uh, simpler so I think the analogy to the stick and the carrot is quite good we really need something which is uh, clear and, and effective. And um, I mean, back to Ingvild's point, uh, there's lots of uh, collaboration in, in, in the market needed and there's lots of owners, charters willing to collaborate, but the whole clue is how to price this. Um, it needs to be priced. Uh, incentives work and especially in an in a, in a asset-based industry like ours, we need the incentives and, and it's best done through price. Uh, so there needs to be a, a stick in the carrot a, a approach, um, not one or the other. Um, so I think for, for individual companies, uh, we, we need to stay curious and uh, adaptable. And I mean, we're not in Belship, we're not really betting the farm on a certain scenario. Uh, we're trying to stay light-footed uh, we're trying to be able to adapt, uh, turn around the business for opportunities and challenges uh, and try and be a responsible uh, ship owner at the same time. So uh, we've actually invested a lot in, in the soft qualities during this uh, COVID-19 uh, process. Uh, we've actually done, hired lots of good people. We've doubled the number of people hired here uh, in the office in, in Oslo. Uh, we set up a new office in Singapore uh, with, uh, with good people and also in Melbourne and, and, and increased the number of people hired in Bangkok. So I think 
um, part of our plan is to uh, take use of uh, technology uh, in the coming decade. We don't have to invent it ourselves. It's, it's lots, lots of the technologies out there, uh, but invest in people and, and build a shipping platform with clients and knowledge, because I think that's, that's always going to be a good basis for, for adapting to this, because I think we're going to have so many curveballs and back and forth on indices and, and regulations that uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, um, about being adaptable. Thank you very much indeed for that, Lars. And I think we've probably got time for, for just one more, one more question um, before, we, before we conclude here. So I'm going to go to you, Ingville, if, if you're okay, and basically look at how, how would your company define success in the industry and what would be the hallmarks of the, the fleet organizations that remain dominant in 2030 and 2050? Okay, I've got one minute to answer that. I think uh, our mission in BW Group is to deliver energy for the world today while finding solutions for tomorrow and, and to kind of to, to manage both of those. Some, some people might say that they don't go together, but I think that's uh, very, very important to us. So creating profitable and sustainable business both for today and tomorrow. And, and to do that, I think you need to, a bit to large Christian point, you need to be uh, nimble and agile. Um, you need to have a strong competence to find solution in that, that area. Um, collaborative mindset, and I think you have to be pretty courageous. I love that. So um, I'm going to say thank you very much indeed to all the panelists today for a very rich conversation around how you're all navigating your corporate strategies. Uh, in addition, many thanks to Capital Link for hosting the session today. Clearly, we as an industry have a lot of challenges ahead and the boardroom discussions are centered around those regulatory changes and decarbonization ambitions cost effectively, which is a great start. So with that, I'm going to say thank you very much again. Stay safe and we'll see you all again as soon as possible. Thank you. And many thanks from me as well. Uh, great discussion. Thank you to all of you for being with us. And thank you, Andy, for moderating the panel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.